0: Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Thank you guys for being here, for worshiping with us. I know summer is a hit or miss, so no, you can, you can bank on us being here every Sunday, diving into some fruit, all right, where we're going to get in. And so I'm really excited to start this off with you. Maybe you have heard a dozen messages over the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you know all the songs. I mean, like there's like 20,000 songs over the fruit of the Spirit. My favorite's like Uh, The fruit of the spirit's not a banana, right? The fruit of the spirit's not a banana. Anyone know that one? If you want to be a banana, you might as well hear it. Dalton's nodding, so I'm going to keep going. Because you can't be the fruit of the spirit, because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Some of you are like, Pastor, you should have just left off with the first song. (laughs) Didn't need to go to the next one. Didn't need to go to the next one, but I have heard so many. I mean, I was alarmingly so grew up Southern Baptist. I mean, fruit of the spirit was as spiritual as we got, all right? Like you learned about the fruit of the spirit, and it was as I grew up. That's what you you talked about, right? Like I need peace. It was tools in the tool belt. It was ways to get better. Maybe many of you have seen it in that way, that it's ways to just I need peace or I lack joy, so God give it to me. But alarmingly so, God has been stretching me. Guys, when he says the fruit of the Spirit, that it's of the Spirit, he means it. That there is some powerful spiritual power attached to joy that you and I overlook when we just take the worldly joy. That there is powerful transformation, there is control that is broken when we experience spirit filled love. And, peace. and so this morning, I am excited. I'm sorry. If you want to put a black screen, it's flashing in my eyes. Uh, every now and then, I'm like, I can't see you anymore. But I am excited because we talk about this. A spirit-filled awakening comes when we have spirit-filled joy instead of the worldly joy. I mean, there is a spiritual uh, power that comes in a heart, when they have spirit-filled self-control versus worldly. So we're going to be diving into this. And so as you will hear over and over and over, I have a phrase for you this morning. And it is that when the spirit fills a place, fruit is produced. And when fruit is produced, life is experienced. That when a, the spirit fills a place, fruit is produced. In fact, the, the, the spirit of, of the Lord, when he comes, love, joy, peace. I won't sing it this time. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is produced, and when it is there, life is experienced. Power is there. For the longest time, I'll tell you, uh, I used to think that the fruits of the Spirit were secondary to the gifts of the Spirit. Now hear me out. I, I've grown up knowing this all the time. Like, I literally thought the longest time that the power of God was found in the spiritual gifts of God. And so I was like, God, just give me wisdom. Or when I was a child, my wife makes fun of me. I used to pray. Did you know in some translations it says that one of the gifts of the Spirit is miraculous powers? I was like, Jesus, nine-year-old Greg, give me miraculous powers. Like, I want to be like Superman. Superman. Like, that's all the concept I had. And so I just, like, we want to know what we're good at. Just Jesus, give me your gifts. Like, I want to know what I'm good at. Give me, I want to use my personality. I want to use my talents for you. Jesus, give it to me. And we naturally then overlook the power of what naturally is produced in us. I don't know about you, but when joy comes into a room, everyone smiles, Right? Like, have you ever met those people that just showcase joy? That is more powerful than the miraculous powers that I thought I was praying for. Right? Like, uh, Jesus, give me miraculous. And from that then comes some beautiful things. Some comes from some powerful things. In fact, uh, Paul writes this. If you, if you don't have to take this from me. Paul writes this to the Corinthians, and he says, hey, guys, if I speak in tongues and I have the gifts of the Spirit, but I do not have Love, which is the first fruit of the Spirit, if I don't have it, then I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, if I could tell you what's coming up, if I could tell you what's going to happen through all the corona, COVID stuff, if I have understanding of all mysteries, if I have the ability to have knowledge and I give you wisdom and I give you guidance, but I don't have love, if I have faith that moves mountains, but I don't have love, which is the first fruit of the Spirit, then I gain nothing. If I... Am so generous as to give of my time to every social justice cause, if I I let go of all the things that I thought were weighing on me and I don't have anything so that I I can't boast about it, but I don't have love, which is the first fruit of the Spirit, then I gain nothing. It's really powerful. I wrote that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are secondary to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, And as we get into this, so often we wanna be used by God, but God's like, hey, I'm trying to produce that which can be used, but you're holding back peace. We're like, God, just give me a word of wisdom. And he's like, you don't have a fruit of gentleness to control it. Like, God, give me something to encourage people. Well, you don't really love them, so I'm not gonna give it to you. Right, like fruit is what produces the gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are secondary. In other words, the Lord produces in you, in your soul, a soil of love, and then redemptive words flow from it. The Lord produces in your soul this soil for real joy, and then powerful generosity flows through it. It's from those spirit-filled gifts are the after effect. And I say all of this because I don't know how many of you are like me, but I have mistakenly, and a lot of times, hear me. I'm not very good at this in my past. I have mistakenly used my giftings, my personality. Well, that's just who I am. I'm blunt, I'm direct. I've mistakenly used my talents, producing it from Greg, void of the fruit of the Spirit. And in hindsight, I'm like, wow, I left a wake of pain, right? It ripple affected. Some of us, when we operate in our personality, but there's not fruit that produced it, then pain only occurs more. Paul literally says that without the fruit of love, anything we do, our giftings, your personality, your talents, sound like this. A clanging symbol. Some of you are like, why is Pastor have a clinging symbol? Right there, that's why. All right. It's interesting because I think we have all experienced this this past year. Think about it. How often has our world exercised some clinging symbols? They're exercising their rights. People around us are using their voice. People around us are exercising gifts and talents. They're using their mighty voice of influence. They're exercising good deeds. They are giving their opinions all over Facebook. They're showcasing their wisdom, their knowledge, how much they have learned. But void of love, our world is like this. And I do this because I want you to think about what was produced in you the moment that I clashed this. If you're like my wife, Loud noises produce this instant rage in her. <laughs> loud noises produce the fruit of rage. Some of you, loud noises produce the fruit of ache. Others of you, it's confusion. You're like, whoa, where'd that come from? Others of you, it's concern, worry, anxiety. It's interesting, if an action is not done from fruit, then that action will build out ill fruit. Does that make sense? Like if an action is not done from the fruit of the Spirit, then the gong, the clashing symbol, will only produce anxiety in a room, confusion, chaos. I wonder how many of your homes have had anxiety, confusion, chaos, How many of your office places this past year have had confusion, anxiety, worry, chaos? It's because when actions or gifts or talents or personalities are used without being the production of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, then anxiety, pain, confusion, concern, worry, doubt will reign Will come. It's really interesting. I wrote it down. If you want a nice way to put it, it says when the fruit of the spirit is not the foundation of an action, then the action expressed will produce the fruit of another spirit. And I need you to realize another spirit. Did you know the spirit of confusion is a demonic thing? The enemy controls fear. The enemy produces anger in people, unrighteous anger. The enemy brings about confusion and concern. The enemy is in charge of the spirit of worry. And so we have to guard our actions. And in fact, God knew what he was doing when he was like, I'm depositing the the fruit, the first fruit of my glory in all of my people is the Holy Spirit. And I'm depositing him in them so that what they can produce is life-giving. Because everyone else is gonna do these actions, work their angle, and pain will be produced. But my people will produce a joy that has powerful actions, that creates a ripple effect of change. It's this powerful thing, and I say all of that because the world speaks a lot of the fruit. I mean, we see yoga as the best way to access peace. Right? We see the, the world, there's partying, there's fun, there's, there's happiness that you can attain to get joy. Love is everywhere, right, in our world, manufactured so. But where we're going to land this morning is that first, first fruit of the Spirit, love. Love. And every week, we're going to follow in suit to love from joy, to then to peace. So this morning, we're going to be diving in to love. And I will tell you, love specifically is a concept that the manufactured world, the, the, it's a concept that our world loves to dictate and twist and turn and confuse, and all they're providing is that. I was a little less crashy, all right? There you go. You're welcome. That was for you guys. But romantic love, friendly love, family love, uh, companion love, that's not the unconditional, agape, hunger-satisfying love of the Father. In fact, uh, John writes this in John, 1 John 4. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But whoever does not love... Does not know God, for God is love. Now, John's saying something very bold. John is saying, if you don't know God, then every action that you do that you think is love was that clashing symbol. Because if you don't know God, you don't know love. And that's bold. People can, those are fighting words for the world. You say, I don't know love, I mean, how did you just act? Like how did you just act? But God is love. Very bluntly he says it, God is love. Now I grew up with this, like I knew all of it. The fruit of the spirit is love. We got it. But it's really powerful. The we we read all throughout scripture: there's a God, our God is a God of peace, He's a God with great kindness, He's a God of patience, He's a God who has all the fruit of the Spirit as an attribute. But love is interesting, it's his divine nature. It's like a, it's a characteristic of God. It's defined, he is love. And that's really powerful. So when our world tries to manufacture love, what are they manufacturing? God. Is this, like, when they try to manufacture love, whatever the object of their love is or whatever they're trying to put about, it is another form of Worship. And so it's really interesting. God is love. Now, I've heard this all my life, but if I can be vulnerable with you, God has been stretching me. Like I told you already, I grew up a little Baptist boy. And I've known this, but in hindsight, God has, like, wrecked me on how powerful his love is. I've known this, but in the past month, I have had a handful of interactions where he has... Who have you ever been just angry, but all you felt was love? Like those of you parents in the room, your kid is just not getting it. They're not getting how wonderful they are, how beautiful they are, and they just keep doing something different, and you're just like passionately angry, and all you can show is like, that's not true. Well, this past month, like I have seen what love does. I've looked into a man's eyes this past month, if I could just be vulnerable, who was struggling with the past of Satanism, believing that he didn't love himself. And I don't know what, I was just like, I love you. And I like fire in me and his eyes were trembling. Like I, I don't make that crap up. Like he literally was, his mouth was trembling. He's like, I didn't, I didn't know. I don't believe it but it's this it's strange like it's this uh, i hunger for it but i don't know it you see love is powerful we we overlook it but literally god is love he, jesus was the incarnate love think about when he walked into a place it wasn't that the godhead entered in just that but it was he exemplified love he looked at you and saw you he looked at you and saw you he looked at you and saw you and what happened is when a demon was in them, the demon was afraid because Jesus saw the human. And the, the, that's why demons trembled. That's why they ran. That's why this, when Jesus enters, it's not just God. It's God is love. There's so much power. And I think I overlook it and downplay. But think about how many walls of your own come down when you feel loved in a place. And back to going just pause. Some of you have been with Glory Church for years. A ye- almost going on two years because we started this. You were in a part of our launch team. Can I just speak that I love you? I'm thankful for you. I love you. The work that you do is powerful. I love you. Like I know what Paul means when he writes to the church of Philippi. And he's like, I just love you. I want you to know how deep, how wide is the love of God. Because I ache for you. I want you to know what I see in you. You are cherished, son and daughter. I love you. And when you truly believe that, if I could just be honest, I love you. When you truly believe that, what happens internally you breathe. Pneuma. Do you know the Greek word for pneuma is spirit? When you have a fresh breath, love is so spiritual. That's why the world craves love, but they manufacture it. The world craves it, but our enemy hates it. Can I just tell you that love is literally appalling to the enemy? He looks at you and says, you are wretched. In fact, if you know why self-harm is a thing, it's because you are wretched, we believe, when we are stuck in that mindset. It is a negative and spiral downward claim because the enemy hates love. Self-love, in a godly sense, hates it. And so, believers in the room, it's not just that you are called to choose love. You are called to operate in it. You're not just called to choose love. I don't choose to love Kate today, my wife. I operate in the love that I've already been bought into. It's not something I have to choose to do. I'm called to do it. I don't have a choice. Some of you are like, no, free will. No, listen. Listen. I'm brought my eyes are opened. And now I step into it. Love is different than we think. And so as we get into this, the enemy, though, he knows we, he cannot separate us from the love of God. That's in Romans eight. And there's nothing, no height nor depth, can separate you from the love of God. You're in it, if you're a believer, you're in it. What he loves to do then is to distract you with the manufactured love of the world. We get stuck in it. We get addicted to it. And so this morning, I have three things for you, and then we're going to be done. Three quick statements of what love is. I want you to write them down because we're going to dive into them. But as I say what love is, manufactured love is going to reveal its ugly face, and you're going to see how we do it, how we play into it, how we buy that role. All right, so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this one down first, that love acknowledges all. Love acknowledges all. The fruit of the Spirit-filled love sees all. It cares for all, it notices all, it considers all. Love considers all. Not just the people who are on the side, on our side, not just the people who we like. Love acknowledges all. Not just the people who agree with us, not just the people who we, who our personalities click, click really well with, but all. Paul writes this, he says, God proves his love for us in this way. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us that's in Romans that Paul writes that God proves his love for us in this way that while we were still sinners now this is important the while we were still sinners that was that means before Jesus died he acknowledged you and me not just his faithful remnant of Israel. Did you know that there were Jews who were still faithfully at the time Jesus was born? There were still Jews who were still faithfully sacrificing animals and receiving annual atonement. So technically, there were people who were atoned for that year. But Jesus acknowledged all. Those who were part of his family and those who were sinners the wretched, the painful, the evildoers, all of us. And manufactured version of this love, if I can tell you, is this, this lure that the world has in accepting people as they are, which is good, free of judgment, accepting people free of strings, free of ties, and all of that sounds good, it sounds godly, but can I tell you this? Without the ability to acknowledge all, it's a little destructive. In fact, I wrote this down. The manufactured love will reveal its ugliness. I need you to understand it. Manufactured love reveals its ugliness as it acknowledges the recipient of the love. Oh, I love you. I love this. This is what I love. This is what I stand for. This is the the, the campaign that I'm with. This is what I love. Manufactured love will show its ugly faces. It lifts that up while voluntarily or involuntarily dismissing the value of others. Now, this is what I need. I, I, I don't know if you realize this. Hear me out. Worldly love pursues justice. Worldly love will pursue acceptance. But there will always be something that worldly love, someone, a human, flesh and blood, that the worldly love will be hostile to. And that's when you know that's not godly love. Because godly love acknowledges all. Even when I disagree, I acknowledge them. Even when I disagree, I have complete value for them. Worldly love, you can't. I love this, you against it, I'm against you. That's a biblical thing, right? Those who aren't for Christ is against Christ, but also, I need you to know the world can't understand this. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. But the principalities of the spiritual darkness, the, the world uh, that, of the spiritual realm that we can't see, that's where our enemy is. And so as I lift up Christ, my enemy is not any human. As I lift up Christ, he's not going to separate me from humans. He's going to separate me from his enemy. And it's a very powerful thing. I mean, the world gets it, but it's skewed, right? We see this all around. The manufactured version will be hostile. Think about it. And even in dating relationships, as I love her, I should naturally break ties with everyone else, right? As we get close, that means I shouldn't consider other people. And that's why enmeshment happens. I mean, it's all nasty. We get it. But here's the the powerful thing. Here's a gauging statement for you. All right, I made it a slide. If your actions your words, or your advice. Some of you give some harsh advice. If it leads you to separate people into an us versus them thinking, then spirit-filled love is not at work. Uh, no, I If an action that you do, if something you choose to be a part of speaks a message of hostility to one person, one group of people, then there's not spirit-filled love in that thing. If an advice that you're deciding to give to a friend about their parents creates an us versus them mentality in that friend, then you are not giving spirit-filled love, wisdom. No advice should separate you from another person. And you're like, no, pastor, like, isn't scripture say that, like, you will be hostile, like, your people will be? Yeah, that's the world hating me. But at most, as much as I can, I will be at peace with them. It's, it's the other way around. I will, as I follow Christ, experience hostility. But I will not speak the message of hostility. I will not manufacture an allegiance that will cause hostility. Because the love acknowledges all. So if you catch yourself in an us versus them th- uh, thought, I need you to capture it. All right, capture it. I, they are not my enemy. I have had to say this. She is not my enemy. Some of you, like early on in my wife and I's marriage, we get on sides. You ever play the sides and you have an opinion and they're not seeing your opinion. And so the best thing you need to do is pause. I'm not fighting with my wife. I'm fighting for our marriage. She's not my enemy. The enemy is either speaking lies to me or speaking lies to her. And I will see her, not him. This is, you've got to capture it. You've got to ask the Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours on that person, those people. Because love acknowledges all. But the second truth that, that flows from it, it's very pro- progressional. Are you ready? Love acknowledges all, but also love overcomes all. Love overcomes all. Peter writes that above all, maintain constant love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Some of you know that, but this word right here, some of you who love, like, theology, this word covers a multitude of sins is the same theological idea that you were covered with the blood of Jesus. Love covers, works hand in hand with the blood of Jesus to redeem. Yeah, That's powerful. That means as I love you, you gain the grace of realizing who Jesus is and redemption, healing, deliverance takes place. Love overcomes all. It literally stems from acknowledging. I mean, think about it. You can't seek to stand in the gap for someone that you don't even consider. But as you acknowledge them, you can step in, and the Lord our God brings this overcoming Power. Now, I don't know if you're ready for this. I have something a little harsh. You ready? Paul says this, and I caught, it caught me. On Romans chapter 12, I've been preaching on Romans for a while now. I don't know why. Chapter 12, I always get brought back into it. But he says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Now, in our English way of reading this, there's a semicolon. I like some grammar. That just simply means in our world of English, we pause, right? I like myself some grammar. And let love be genuine, pause, hate what is evil. But what I think we've done over time is make a sentence that in the Greek flows freely. And we've segmented it. Literally, Paul is saying genuine love hates evil and holds fast to good. Let love be genuine, hate evil and hold fast to good. In other words, one commentary that I uh, read, it said, a love that does not contain hatred of evil is not the love of God. In other words, the ability God has to acknowledge his image bearer and separate it from the sin that he hates is the very reason he sent his son to die for the image bearer and to demolish the sin that he hates. If God did not hate Yet, then he would never have sent his son. It's really powerful to see. But we have damaged this so much. The evildoer is not the evil one. Do you? The evildoer is not the evil one. I need you to, our fallen world does evil things. But we as people who acknowledge all, we love. Love overcomes. And honestly, it's really interesting because the nature of God, uh, we see it. It's the hatred of, of evil that brought Jesus to come on earth in the first place. It's the hatred of evil that looks at a, a woman who is about to get stoned and forgives her. It's the hatred of evil that causes him to call out demons because it's so Closely related to his love because it's his love's response to sin. And we separate it. So I'll keep going. It's interesting because a manufactured love, it addresses the command to accept people, which is what we talked about. But our worldly manufactured love also tells us to be tolerant of. Can I just tell you, you're not going to overcome anything that you're tolerant of. think tolerance is just a beautiful shade of indifference. And indifference is literally the opposite of love. If I'm indifferent to my daughter, then I'm going to neglect her. If, I am indif- if I'm tolerant of my daughter, then when she's singing, I won't hear her heart. I will try to ignore it. If I'm tolerant of my daughter, then I won't be able to call out anything that I see in her that's good. Tolerance is not an overcoming nature. Tolerance is what the enemy does to us while he patiently waits for us to go to hell. Because he doesn't want to do anything with love. If God was tolerant of us, he would never sent Jesus. Tolerance is really difficult. Here's another one of those gauging statements for you then. Are you ready? If the pursuit of loving what you love grows in you an indifference toward another then you're not pursuing spirit-filled love. I'll explain it. If you love working out, but the pursuit of that causes you to be indifferent, you're not even thinking about other people anymore. Then that's not a spirit-filled love that God is wanting you to pursue. Maybe you need to check your heart. I'm like, I need to, I need to, if I say that I love something, but it's making me indifferent toward another, where I'm not even considering them anymore, then it's probably not spirit-filled love. It's probably not. You see, in our Christian relationships, indifference looks a lot like enabling just because we stay silent. Because the loving thing, we think, is to be nice. Like, churches are really nice. We'll say, bless your heart. We'll pick up your trash. But then the moment you leave, we'll think, why were they so trashy? Right? We will smile. We will be nice. But that's indifference. Because if I truly loved you, I would say, hey, our, we don't have a janitor that we pay. And I need your help. Can you pick up your trash? Now, this isn't a real thing, I promise. But you know, you would, you would address it. You would address the elephant in the room. And so it's really interesting if we like, if we say that we have a love that overcomes all things, but then don't speak all things. You know, Paul says that love bears all things. It resists all things. It it, it covers all the Paul. First Corinthians 13 is beautiful, but it's interesting that we don't do that at all. So. How do we have an overcoming love? Does that just mean you just call out people's sin? Hey, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this. No, like that's, you don't overcome by calling people out. But I do have something for you, all right? This is real, real life. If you're in a conversation and something does not feel good, some of you have been here. I mean, I, I need you to think of the instance You are either right now going to operate in your flesh. Some of you are the bailers. If it feels not good, you're like, I'm out. That's indifference. If you're in a conversation and you feel the tummy grumbling, something's not going on, are you going to, some of you are are the insecure ones where you're like, it must be my fault. It must have been my fault. I, I did something wrong. I did something wrong. And now I have to retaliate. I have to react out of that. They did that, I'm doing this. No, pause. Love overcomes all. And in every instance where the tummy grumbles, there's a wall that can be built, but there is a power in you to overcome it. And so I have some sentences. Some of these you can just write down really quick. You can say, Hey God, what are you doing here? Some of you don't even ask that. Your tummy grumbles, you're like, I must be hungry. No. Hey God, what are you doing here? Hey, God, what are you trying to say? Is there a lie that they're believing that your truth needs to combat? Some of you don't say that at all. You don't call out people's lies. That's one of the worst things we can do for people. Call out. So pause. Is there there a lie that your truth needs to call out? And if you feel yes, what is it? What's the truth? What's the truth? Another one, is there a tension that needs to be addressed? Some of you let just tension re- remain. No, is there a tension that needs to be addressed because love overcomes all? Is there a hug that needs to be given? Is there a, a sacrifice that needs to be made? Is there a, a, an opinion that needs to be laid down? All of this, is there something that needs to be handed over? God, is there something that you're doing? Is there a burden that I need to carry? Is there a burden that I'm not letting them carry? All of these questions, because love overcomes. It's interesting that the world tries to do this, but they don't have the very mind of Christ to be able to do it. Scripture says that you have been given the mind of Christ. It's not that the world doesn't want to do it. It's that they can't even access that self-control. So we're going to do that, and what will lead you next one is (laughs) the last statement. That love doesn't just acknowledge all, doesn't just overcome all, it provokes all. And this is when you ask that question of God, he's going to give you an answer, and you're going to probably need to do it. And that means you say, hey, I've been noticing this pattern in you. Is everything okay? That's a provoking question. But that's what love is. Provoking is not always a bad thing. Provoking is not a bad thing at all. Provoking literally transforms and makes changes. I've seen this in my life. The ability to just pause. I'm, st- I'm doing dishes. I hear my daughter saying something that's not true. Love is not indifferent. Love pauses this. Hey, where did that come from? That's a provoking thing. And when done from love... I, some of you have been recipient of some very direct words from Greg. We've known each other for a while, and I've just said something really direct. When done from a place of love, harsh words are heard softly. But many of you don't provoke, so you never operate. Does this make sense? Like, harsh words can be heard really softly. If you realize that Jesus, he overcame sin. And then he provoked Thomas. Hey Thomas, I'm just going to call out that you doubt. Do you want me to put your finger in my hole? Right, like that's a provoking thing. Comes to Peter. Hey, do you love me? Yes, God, I love you. No, do you love me? That's a provoking thing. He overcome. He overcame on the cross, but now he's provoking individually. Can I just call you out of your comfort a little bit? Can I just nudge you? Hebrews says, provoke one another to love and good deeds. If you're not provoking anyone, then there's no movement, no love, no change at all. If I can wrap it up in this way, um, when Jesus provoked someone, he cast a vision for their life. And that's what love does. Ultimately, it acknowledges, it overcomes, and it provokes people to move and this is where the world messes up have you ever I mean this is so classic the dad who never made it past little league to get into the big leagues and so in his mind a twisted version of love is I want my kid to have everything that what I didn't have I as a father love my child and so now I'm setting this vision that I'm going to provoke him into we all know how that runs what if the boy sucks at baseball, right? You're going to get angry. You're going to think he, that you mess up. You're going to look down on him. He's going to feel the tension the whole time that he never measured up to dad. That's not love. So as we provoke people to a vision, we don't say, hey, Christian, I see that you're struggling in this. And I, my way of doing things is a little bit different. Let's just stop sinning, okay? You're struggling with lust? Just stop looking. That's not a provoked love. The vision is one day, I believe that God will make you holy as he is holy. In fact, every time you think wrong thoughts, I'm going to be there to point to scripture. Why? Because I'm going to provoke you with the vision. There's something that you're going to. I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you. See, as a church, we, we like to like do this to the process, and that's not love. Love provokes, but a vision that is set out by the Father. Not by me, but the Father. He casts a vision. And so, Ben, I invite you guys to come up. I have a scripture that I want to pray over you. I don't know if you've ever experienced being prayed over with scripture, but here it is. It is one of my favorite passages in the Bible ever. if you know anything about me, you want to know my heart, you want to know what breaks me up, what I, like, cry over, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5. They get me, all right? They get me. But Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and he says these words, that the love of Christ compels me. It literally pushes me. I cannot help but. I cannot help but. It compels me. It urges me on. And he says, because I'm convinced that one has died and all people have died. I have this perspective that everyone is dead without Christ. And he died for all. So those who might live, who might have life, they may no longer live for themselves, but for him. And then he continues and says, I no longer see people from a human point of view. Do you want to go to the next time? I no longer see people from a human point of view. Though I once like saw Christ as that. He was just this guy. But now I no longer do it. Why? Because I've been a new creation. Many of you have made that very personal. You're like, I'm a new creation. And you allow that to just be individual. No, look, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See. Behold! In other words, look outside of yourself. Everything is new. Now you can love them because you see differently. Now you can no longer see people from the worldly way. So I'm going to pray this over you. We're going to continue worship. God, I pray that the love of Christ compels us that we would not be compelled by success, that we would not be compelled by uh, worries, that we would not be compelled by achievements, God, that we would not be urged forward by what we think the world demands of us. God, that we would not be compelled by identity in the world, but instead we would be compelled by love because we are convinced that you died And because you died, we have the opportunity, the ability to speak life. So God, I just pray right now that you would break our church's heart for what breaks yours. That we would have a love that acknowledges all. That we would stand against the spiritual fake love that brings hostility. And stand with and for the world as you did. For my God, he so loved the world that he gave. So God, give us the ability to overcome with love. Give us the ability to provoke with love. Grant us the ability to no longer see people in a worldly way, but to be led by you. God, I pray that we could come alive that our eyes would come alive, that our marriages would come alive, that our workplaces would come alive, that we take the mantle that we have on our, in our neighborhood and come alive, that we would come alive on our streets. In your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.